Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. All right, two items I want to hit in this episode. The first is Devin Booker capable of leading the Phoenix Suns to a title, a championship. And the second is the era of stars ganging up to chase a ring over. Now, I wasn't planning on talking about the first one, but the Suns' loss to the Los Angeles Lakers in the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament got me to thinking about it and provided ample material worth discussing. For those not aware, the Lakers beat the Suns 106-103 with impressive performances by all four of the game's biggest stars. Booker, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Davis and the Lakers dominated the first half, building a 12-point halftime lead off of Davis's 20 points. Foul trouble limited the Suns' big man, Yusuf Nurkic, to less than 10 minutes in that first half. He picked up two fouls in the first five minutes, sat the rest of the first quarter, played less than four minutes into the second quarter before picking up his third foul. That was a fairly big factor. But another one, at least in the first half, was that Booker seemed intent on dribbling his way out of every double team the Lakers threw at him. And there were a lot of them. The result? More turnovers than assists for the Suns. 13 turnovers, 12 assists, with Booker more than doubling up with 5 turnovers and only 2 assists. We've seen this from from Devin before. He gets it in his head, you're going to try to double team me, you're going to try to stop me, I'm going to show that you can't. And it kind of wrecks the game. Watching the first half, I thought, man, the Suns miss Chris Paul. And I also thought, man, the Suns are dreaming if they think that Devin can take them anywhere. He's showing why the Suns never sniffed the playoffs with him before Chris Paul came to town. 
But the second half was a different story. Whether Coach Frank Vogel got to Book or showed him some tape or Book had his own epiphany, he came out with a completely different mindset. Three assists in less than three minutes, passing ahead, finding Grayson Allen for all three buckets, scoring a couple from the free throw line himself. And that got me to thinking, maybe this is the game that Devin Booker shows us that he can be what the Suns have told us he is, the man to lead them to a championship. This, after all, the in-season tournament was a good, good opportunity to see some teams and players who hadn't been able to play playoff-type roles in the same way uh, in, in early in the season. It's not the playoffs, but it's a kind of playoff-ish. And beating LeBron and the Lakers in the in-season tournament would be at least partial confirmation. Maybe not, you know, confirmation, complete confirmation, but a nice indicator. Let's put it that way. So we all know Book is a great shooter and a great scorer. But to lead a team to a title takes so much more than that. Just think about the difference between Book and Chris Paul and how they approach the game, offensively and defensively. That's what's required. And yes, I know Chris Paul has not won a ring, but it's why they got as close as any Phoenix Suns team has in recent memory because of the way Chris Paul approached the game. He's just doing it at an age where he couldn't, he couldn't maintain it. Bottom line is it requires a far more communal mindset than Booker has right now or at least has demonstrated. He can't just worry about finding his shots. He has to find his shots, find shots for his teammates, and know which of those is needed at any given time. He also has to be able to defend his position. I agree with the Suns that he's the one to do it on this roster because he's the only one that has the skill set to do so on this roster. Bradley Beal? No. KD, no. Only Book has the skill set to be a scorer and a playmaker. What I don't know is if he has the temperament. The second half against the Lakers, I thought, maybe, just maybe he does. He needed nine shots in the first half to score eight points, and he was a minus 12 in plus minus. I already mentioned the five turnovers and two assists. But all that flipped in the last two quarters. He scored 13 points on seven shots. He doubled his assists to four and reduced his turnovers to two. He was a plus 14 in plus minus. By adjusting his role, everything seemed to fall into place. Now KD could be the go-to scorer, and he got sizzling hot. Nurk was able to stay on the floor, in part, in part because fewer turnovers and a higher second-half shooting percentage meant Phoenix could set their defense and limit the Lakers' second shots, whereas where AD did most of his eating against backup center Drew Eubanks with Nurkic in foul trouble. But if Booker is going to be up to the task of knocking off proven champions in their prime, like Nikola Jokic or Giannis Antetokounmpo, or young guns like Luka Doncic, it can't take him a half to figure out how he has to approach the game how he has to play to maximize what the Suns can do, not just what he is doing. And it's a big ask. Scorers generally have tunnel vision. Get me the ball. I will figure out a way to get it in the basket. You guys take care of the rest. 
Every scorer who has become the leader of a championship team has had to go through a similar evolution. Michael Jordan did. Kobe Bryant did. I'm not putting Booker in their same category. I'm just saying he has their mindset. And that mindset, or their initial mindset, and that mindset is going to have to change if he's going to be what the Suns are advertising him as. KD gets to stay in the scorer's mindset. I don't think he's ever had any interest, actually, in getting out of it. Bradley Beal tried to break out of it to a degree in Washington after John Wall left. He just wasn't very good at it. Do I think Booker can, to answer the question? Do I think that he can? Yes. I think Devin Booker can lead a team to a championship. I think he has the requisite skill, size for his position, and athleticism. But something fundamental has to change. And I hope he evolves. I hope it happens because I respect his skills immensely. It takes a lot of work and focus to develop that, that, that kind of shooting form and those kind of handles, and he has improved at the defensive end. I also root for guys who weren't crowned stars right from the start. He came off the bench at Kentucky, and he had to earn his starting spot playing behind Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight uh, his first year with the Suns. He has steadily improved in all facets of the game. Although defense, for the most part, has never really really been his thing, which is, is another drawback to being the leader of a title team. Unless you have a Draymond Green next to you, as Steph Curry has had, or an Anthony Davis for LeBron in the bubble, just being an offensive maestro isn't enough. And just being serviceable defensively isn't enough. Unless you have that great defender next to you. Not to win a title. And I should make note of something, since it came up in my recent comments about not being able to see the Celtics win a championship in their current iteration. There seems to be this idea that if you're capable of getting to the finals, you're capable of winning a championship. It's not true. That last step from finals, finalist to champion, is a doozy. And it's different than any of the other steps. The DNA of a champion isn't dependent on the competition it has to face. A champion is built to overcome whatever opponent or obstacle that stands in its way. The Miami Heat, for example, exploited a variety of circumstances to get to the finals last year. They were in no way a championship caliber team. They were not winning a championship. There were simply too many holes in their arsenal. And you're probably asking, well, what if they came up and faced a team that had just as many flaws. That, I don't know when that's happened. There, there might be one, one conference that is particularly weak, but I've never seen it in both sides. I've never seen a, an array of teams that all have holes in their arsenal to the level that the Miami Heat did. And they were simply holes that none of their Eastern opponents were equipped to exploit. And not to go astray, but it's, it's how LeBron was able to get to so many finals and repeatedly leave empty-handed. I mean, think about it. He went to the finals nine times in the East and only won three titles over there, one of them by the narrowest of margins. Twice, he got swept out, and another, I believe, was a gentleman's sweep. 
And then this is in no way a knock on LeBron. It's just putting into context what getting to the finals does and doesn't mean. Some teams overachieve to get to the finals. Some get there because they are the best team in their conference. Neither one of those things means that they are championship caliber. Where I'm most concerned about... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Whether or not Booker can be what the Suns need him to be, is his mentality. That's the part that has to change. If it does, I think he's got everything else. But that's a big part. And this is why I'm worried about that. Or I don't, I suspect it's not there yet. Not fully baked anyway. Because after the Suns were eliminated by the Lakers in the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament, Booker went to the podium and insinuated that the officiating was the reason that they lost. We're not asking for favoritism. Just a fair chance, he said. Now, there was certainly a call in the final seconds of the game that didn't go the Suns' way. The Lakers appeared to have the game in hand after an Austin Reeves 3 made it a two-possession game, 105-101 in their favor. Keep that in mind. However you want to look at the end of the game, the fact is that the Lakers put themselves in position to win it with 15 seconds left, and the Phoenix Suns did not. Now, subsequently, after the three and a Phoenix Suns timeout, the Suns scored within four seconds. KD scoring on a reverse layup. Made it a two-point game. Now the Lakers are calling timeout again. Set up, uh, presumably, to deal with the Suns' full-court press, which is what they ran into. And uh, still inbounded it didn't bring it into the front court, inbounded it in the back court, again, presumably so that they could run more time off the clock and have more space to operate in. Interesting choice uh, or decision by the Lakers. Nonetheless, the inbound comes in. Uh, 11 seconds on the clock. Inbound comes in. Austin Reeves bobbles it, trapped by Devin Booker and KD. Ball squirts out, heads to the baseline, where Grayson Allen picks it up. Before he can do anything with it, though, veteran referee Tom Washington blows his whistle and awards a timeout to the Lakers, called or requested by LeBron. Obviously, the Suns are up in arms, and replays show that it's controversial whether the Lakers actually had possession of the ball, which is necessary in order to call timeout. Uh, the referee's report afterward, the pool report, was that they felt that at the time that Austin had the ball trapped against his leg before it squirted out, and that's when LeBron was asking for the timeout, and that's why it was awarded. Very suspect and very curious why they didn't go back and look at the tape, they didn't get together and, and discuss it. Seemed like they just went forward and said, no, we got it right, and awarded the timeout. So, now... The Lakers are inbounding it, leading by three, 
with seven seconds on the clock. Ball comes into AD, Eric Gordon, take foul almost immediately. Six seconds on the clock. AD goes to the free throw line, shoots two free throws, makes one, misses one. And the Suns were out of timeout, so they inbound it. They get it to KD. They get it up to court. KD takes a 30-footer to tie, potentially tie and send the game into overtime. Misses. Game over. So, keep in mind, there was the opportunity, the possible opportunity to tie it up if there wasn't a timeout call. But Grayson Allen did uh, collect the ball on the baseline. He had Anthony Davis between him and the basket. Now, Devin Booker had moved into the paint, so it was kind of a two-on-one situation. I would think they probably could have scored a layup there. Still would have been time on the clock when they did, uh, and, and time enough for the Lakers to call timeout and run a play in the front court. Bottom line is, in all of this, no matter how you look at that call, it wasn't what cost them the game. They weren't winning and then lost it. And what's kind of crazy is that Booker indicated the Suns went into the game thinking they weren't going to get a fair whistle. At least that's what he said at the podium. And the last call wasn't the only one that Booker took issue with. He complained about getting hit in the head and only a common foul being called, not a flagrant penalty one. It sounded as if the Suns came into the game with a victim mentality. And Booker, for one, came out of the game with that mentality intact. KD was the only one who said publicly the referees did not cost Phoenix the game. Remember I said earlier that a champion isn't dependent on who or what they have to go through? That includes the officiating. A champion doesn't believe for a second that if it plays the way that it can, that anything can stop it. Booker doesn't sound as if he believes that. He sounds as if he feels like the referees are capable of keeping him and the Suns from their just desserts. Now, plenty of players feel as if there is favoritism by the referees, that there are star calls, or that the league has an agenda for the big market teams that drive ratings. But no championship team that I've ever been around ever believed that favoritism was enough to stop them. And I've been around a lot of them. Before I go, I want to address one more item. The migration of superstars to team up, usually in a major market, and chase a ring. I believe we may be seeing the end of that. What began with the summer of LeBron in 2010 appears to have run its course, or at the very least is slowing down. There will always be stars who look to play with another star through free agency or recruit one. But I don't know how quick teams are going to be to giving up a ton of assets to create a pairing or trio. Or superstars willing to sign short-term deals in order to maintain their leverage over their franchise and hold them hostage so that they get to decide what personnel are on the team. I'm talking about the concerted, let's all gang up and create a super team uh, driven by the superstars agenda. And why would it be dying out? Because it hasn't worked. Which example do you want to go with first? K 
KD, Kyrie, Irving, and James Harden in Brooklyn? How about LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook in L.A.? Or Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, also in L.A.? Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Jimmy Butler in Philly? Or Embiid and Harden in Philly? How about we do this? Name an instance where a team bent over backwards to accommodate and acquire stars, and it resulted in a ring. I'm waiting to see what happens in Milwaukee. Now that Giannis Antetokounmpo pulled his leverage and hinted that he might go elsewhere, and lo and behold, now Damian Lillard is there. I don't know that that's a deal that GM John Horst would make if it wasn't that he wanted to keep Giannis in Milwaukee at all costs. And Milwaukee and, and Giannis, to, to be fair, then subsequently signed an extension. Didn't wait. Could have waited another year, made more money. He didn't, he didn't keep him on the ropes, and he could have. So a little more give and take there than usual. But nonetheless, they made that move. They went and got specifically Lillard because that's who Giannis wanted. Maybe you put Toronto acquiring Kawhi, but that wasn't driven by Kyle Lowry or any other Raptor. That was by Masai Ujiri seeing an opportunity, the GM. It was actually quite the opposite. Kyle was ticked off that his good friend DeMar DeRozan was sent to San Antonio as part of the deal. Even worse, being held hostage in order to create a combination of superstars as a nucleus has left teams that gave into it having to dig out of a massive hole without a championship to show for it. The recent tweaks to the collective bargain agreement have made the penalty for trying to buy a championship roster even bigger. In some ways, it actually limits a team's ability to even attempt to build a super team. Of course, anytime you have a new owner, you have the possibility of them trying to make a big splash or prove they're smarter than everybody else. Suns owner Matt Ishbia is the latest example of this. But there's another reason I'm not convinced we're going to see future stars doing what LeBron and Kawhi and KD and Kyrie did. And that's because we have a different breed of up-and-coming stars. They're either foreign players like Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, and Victor Wembanyama, Giannis Antetokounmpo, although he's the closest to come to... I'm going to use a little bit of my star power to get what I want. We'll see how that plays out. But historically, international players have not been ones to ever hold their teams hostage, even if they had the power to do so. We also have young stars who have already been traded once, like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Tyrese Halliburton. And they're grateful that their current teams, regardless of being in a small market or not, are willing to give them what their original teams would not, which is a long-term contract and the desire to build around them. It's just a thought. We'll see how it plays out. I, for one, won't mind. It's not good for the TV business because... Big stars on the move makes for great debate show fodder, which makes for great ratings. Fans love the possibility that some star is going to show up and play for their team out of the blue. But for me, as a fan of the game, 
I love seeing teams built organically as the Golden State Warriors or Denver Nuggets were. Teams that bring their talent together and then let it incubate. Let them go through the pains and struggles of getting into the playoffs and then getting to the second round and slowly but surely build themselves and the scar material necessary to be champions. Uh, I'd say the Oklahoma City Thunder and Orlando Magic are trying to go along the same path, and it's been fun and exciting to watch them. It's not as if every player has to be drafted or signed as a bargain-free agent in order for a championship team to be built organically. It's just that a team built around a star that it drafted or traded for as a young prospect in exchange for the star that wanted out, like Oklahoma City with Paul George getting Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It feels, well, first of all, it allows a fan base to get to know that star, to make it feel as if he's their star. It just feels right, or more right than paying through the nose to cobble together two or three all-stars and then start talking titles that never appear. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I'm, I'm going to be writing this week about what we liked about the in-season tournament, what the value of it was, probably get into what it means as far as LeBron's legacy, the way everything unfolded, the controversy around LeBron being named the MVP after, <laughs> after AD had 41 points and 20 rebounds and four blocked shots in the championship game. But we will get into all that unless something more momentous happens to come along prior. But otherwise, that's probably what we need to unpack in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.